All right. Good morning once again. Wow. Rough night, everybody, huh? Wow. Good morning once again. <laughs> All right. Hey, let me put you back to sleep, okay? Don't start the sermon sleeping. All right. Uh, let's worship God. Let me preach. We find ourselves once again in uh, the book of John. Today we're starting chapter 10. Chapter 10 of the book of John, the fourth gospel. Um, I have to confess, I, I think many of you know that I am a book junkie. Probably most of you have heard or have witnessed this. It might be a product of the fall, but pastors and books, they have this sick relationship. There isn't such a thing as enough books. We just don't believe in that. We, we get as many books as we can get our hands on. There's, I think if I stop buying books today, I, I have enough reading for the rest of my life. You know? But I will not stop. There's too much good stuff out there about the Bible, about the Lord Jesus, and it's great to interact with other brothers in the faith that are not in our immediate acquaintances. They're not in our immediate congregation. So we read. I have read many, many good books. I have read the great Puritans, the great St. Augustine, and the fathers of the church. Great works. But I have to confess that probably one of the best books I've ever read, it's a small children's book that I read Bedtime with my kids a year and a half ago called Sammy and His Shepherd, which is a book where the author, this lady, I believe her name is Susan Hunt, she just expounds on, on, the, on Psalm 23, on the 23rd Psalm, and, and in a very childlike manner, she explains through this story the care of God, this figure of speech, this metaphor of God as our shepherd. As she goes through the psalm, she explains how, how Sammy was a, a part of a flock where the, where the shepherd really loved them. And then she explains how there was another shepherd that didn't love his sheep and how they suffered and how many of them were hurt and didn't even know. And then how this good, loving shepherd would rescue these sheep that were not cared for, and he would name them, he would love them. And it's just an endearing picture. It's a picture that assaults our emotions and affections and will. It's not only information transfer, it's not something that we just look and understand like a lecture, but it's something that touches our hearts deeply, and it's something, this picture of the Good Shepherd, of God being our shepherd, in the Bible, it is a dear picture to me. It is one that blesses my heart. I find myself, for example, now in, in, in John 10, which the big idea is plainly this picture of God as our shepherd, the one who cares for us, the one who feeds and leads us, the one who guides and guards us and protects us and restores us. As I find myself going through this passage, I find myself understanding the Lord Jesus, loving the Lord Jesus more, and, and having a, this deeper loving relationship with Him. This is a text that is beloved to many. Many throughout history have written poems about this text. David himself 
in Psalm 23, he, being a shepherd, King David, being a shepherd, he medita- meditates on this metaphor of God as our shepherd, and he delights in it. It is my prayer that today you will, too, be touched by this picture, and you will be transformed, and your affections would be risen for him, would be raised for him more and more. So if you have found your place there in John 10, I know that I, I tried to, to go through larger portions today. I decided to slow down because I think it's going to be beneficial for us, and we're going to go uh, from verses 1 through 6. We're not going to do a whole chapter, nor the whole Good Shepherd discourse, but we are just dealing with uh, six verses, and I will point out uh, about nine things, and we're just going to talk about them. We're going to considerate them uh, uh, a little bit, and I think it's going to be really beneficial in our understanding of the whole chapter if God is pleased in, in allowing us to go back to this text. Okay, so if you have found your place, please let's read John 10, verses 1 through 6. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Verse 4. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, the Pharisees, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. He used a figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what in the world, the world Jesus was saying to them. Now, this picture of God as a shepherd, as I said, it's not a foreign concept to these people at all. In fact, Jesus could not have chosen a more familiar picture to them. Shepherds were seen all around. Different communities have their own big sheepfold where they would bring the community, uh, they would bring their sheep to spend the night over there and the gatekeeper would take care of them throughout the night so the shepherds could go and, and have a night of sleep and go get some rest. Maybe shepherds that were traveling, going through that area, could also maybe deposit their flock in that community uh, sheepfold and go spend the night maybe at the, the local inn or something Shepherds were just a normal picture, a normal component of that culture. And Jesus chose that picture that is not only a, a culturally familiar picture, but it's also a very present concept in the Holy Scriptures. When we look at the Old Testament, it is a, a, one of the major themes of, of the Psalms. It's very present. For example, Psalms Uh, uh, 23 verse 1 the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside still waters Psalm 78 verse 52 he led out his people like sheep and he guided them in the wilderness like a flock Psalms 80 verse 1 give ear O shepherd of Israel 
You who lead Joseph like a flock. Psalm 95, verse 7. For He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture, and the sheep of His hand. Psalm 100, verse 3. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people, and the sheep of His pastures. This is a theme that is common not only in the book of Psalms, the book of prayer, the worship book, the song book that they had, but it's also very present in the writings of the prophets. For example, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, He'll tend his flock like a shepherd. He'll gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Jeremiah 31.10 He who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. Micah 5 verse 4 He shall stand and shepherd his flock and they will dwell secure. Micah 7.14 Shepherd your people with your staff. Ezekiel And if you could go there. Ezekiel 34, verse 11. Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep. So now that we are in Ezekiel 34, I want to call our attention to this one text because when Jesus says He is a good shepherd, when Jesus brings out this picture and He says, He that does not enter through the door but climbs through the wall is a robber and a thief. Jesus starts His statement, His speech with truly, truly. Some translations will say verily, verily. It simply means listen up. Pay attention Close attention to what I am saying. Now, Jesus has never said anything not worthy of our attention. But by His own standards, He's saying, listen up. Verily, verily, never, or truly, truly, never introduces a new thought. Jesus is not changing the subject. But what is the subject? What is happening? When Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, He is inevitably connecting what He's about to say in a crescendo manner, to chapter 9, to what had just happened. There is no time gap between chapter 9 and chapter 10. In the original, there there aren't even any chapters. Chapters came hundreds of years later. Jesus is not going away to a different subject, a different place. What had happened is that Jesus on the Sabbath had healed this man that was blind from birth. And the community didn't know what to do, so they brought, because it was Sabbath, according to the law of the Pharisees, Jesus had just broken the Sabbath, because it was not a life-threatening illness. I mean, you're blind from birth. You can be blind over the weekend, you know. You can be healed on Sunday. You're not going to die. That was their rule. That was the rule they made up. Nowhere to be found in Scripture, by the way. 
But that was the rule they made up with the, with the, the, the purpose of guarding the Sabbath. Of let's just really avoid that anybody, anybody would break the Sabbath. And they make the Sabbath into this burden that people really couldn't bear. So Jesus comes along and he sees this guy and he heals them. The community didn't know what to do. So they start asking questions and they decide, they, they really don't get anywhere. They decide to bring, this is a theological issue. They decide to bring this man that had just been healed, and no one's celebrating, by the way. No one's rejoicing or praising God for what had just been done. In the end of the chapter, we see that even the guy testifies, he witnesses, he's like, no one has ever seen a miracle like this since the beginning of history. Since the beginning of the world, no one has healed someone that had been born blind. Such a great, deep, impossible miracle. That's why we call it miracle. No one celebrates it. They bring, it, they bring this guy to the Pharisees, who in turn decide to, to investigate this guy. I mean, they ask the same question a ton of times from different angles. They, they want this story, the, the story to, to evolve or devolve you know, to grow or change so they could discredit this miracle worker, Jesus, and they couldn't. No one rejoices. No one celebrates. But these people are being oppressed. And, and they are being seen, they, the Pharisees, are being seen as what? As leaders, as shepherds. Now, the crowd doesn't seem to be necessarily in love with them. It's not out of admiration. But these people had great power. In the end of chapter 9, we see that the parents did not really stick with their son's story. They, they really tried to keep it kosher and kind of walk a fine line and, you know, not say it was a lie. But they, they just said, you know, it is my son. You know, this guy, he is my son. And he had been born blind. That we know. Now, about this Jesus, we don't know, man. You know, just, uh, just ask him. You know, he is of age. He, he's going to tell you, you know. And, and uh, uh, they dodge the question, kind of. They can't even be together with their son because of the religious oppression. Because the Pharisees had said, they had determined that if anyone had testified about Jesus, if anyone would even implied that Jesus was a legit prophet, they would be thrown away from the synagogue which really meant they are really thrown away from the community. They're shunned. They wouldn't buy in your business. If, if you were a, a worker, they wouldn't hire you. You're really shunned. You're not part of the community. It's not only being excommunicated from the Saturday worship, can't go to the synagogue. It, it's really worse than that. You're kind of unclean. People don't want to have anything to do with you. The Pharisees had determined that. So this is a great turmoil. This is a, it's kind of a fight. And it really should be read when Jesus says truly, truly, to say that it, it, it is a crescendo that is happening. You know, when Jesus tells, tells them that they're blind, uh, one of the Pharisees in the end of chapter 9, he'll go, he goes, you know, some of them, are we also blind? Verse 40. And Jesus says to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. In fact, listen to this. Listen to me. 
I say to you, he who does not enter, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way. So I say to you, listen to me, I say to you, this is one dialogue from end of chapter 9, beginning of chapter 10. One dialogue. And now he looks them square in the eye, right in the eye. Broad daylight. Probably by the temple as we, we determined last week because he tells him to go to the pool of Siloam, which is in Jerusalem, right outside Jerusalem. So he looks at these leaders, the national religious leadership, and he tells them, he looks at them right in the eye, and he says, you are thieves and robbers. You have usurped the place of God. God is the shepherd of his people, of these people. And you have taken that position. You gladly accept that position that you have taken because you oppress the people, because you pray with your hands up in front of everybody, because you tithe publicly. And you do not teach the people. When Jesus brings up, brings up this idea of the good shepherd, he puts himself in, in contrast with the bad shepherds, with he has just called the Pharisees. In Ezekiel 34, verses 1 through 4, we see the way that God feels about these false shepherds. This is what Ezekiel says. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy to them, even to the shepherds. Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. Now can you imagine Jesus Christ in the middle of this turmoil, in this, the middle of this war of words? in broad daylight, in front of the temple, in front of the crowd. He faces them, and he tells them, this is the kind of shepherd that you are. I want to call your attention to nine components of, of these verses that I think will be greatly helpful for us to understand the rest of this chapter. The first one is what we just talked about, the false shepherds. These people, they're not from the order of, of, of Levi. They're not, they're just self-appointed leaders. They are people who just decided to be part of this group. It's not a huge group. The Pharisees are about only 6,000 men. And, and the word Pharisees means separated. They decided to have this clique where it was really hard to get in. You had to go through, jump a lot of hoops. And there are people from all different uh, uh, walks of different professions, uh, I want to say. 
But they're not appointed by God to be the leaders of the communities. They don't have jurisdiction to decide who's going to be part of the community or not, the religious community or not. There are Jews who took the authority of God. They are Jews because they judge themselves to be superior to the crowd because they suppose they follow the law better than anybody else. Because they have added all of these rules to protectly, to protect, supposedly, protect the law. These people, in the end of chapter 7, they call the crowd who was kind of disagreeing with them on who Jesus is. They affectionately call the sheep of Israel, the people of Israel, accursed because they disagree with them. When the guards come back, the temple guards come back, and they're like, where is Jesus? We sent you two days ago to go arrest the guy. And the, the guards say, you know, we're not going to arrest him because we've never seen anybody that speaks like this guy. You know, we may be, we may be underpaid, underemployed, we may be ignorant, and now we may be out of a job, but we're not arresting this man. The Pharisees get so furious that they call the crowd accursed. They do not know the law, and they are accursed. That's the kind of shepherding that was going on. Jesus calls them hypocrites. On the outside, you look good, like a whitewashed tomb. On the outside, you look good, but inside, it's full of rotten bones. Just so you know, that's not very seeker-sensitive. Jesus has not read the book, How to Make Friends and Influence Pharisees. He missed that class in seminary. You don't call people out like this, people in leadership, in broad daylight. Or do you? Jesus did. There's something to be said about a way to talk about false shepherds. I'm not saying, you know, judge everybody in, in the meaning of, of uh, meaning condemning everybody and be a heresy hunter. But there is a place to call people out. You can totally say, you know, Rob Bell, he's in a different team. When he writes a book that says, you know, title Love Wins, when he says that everybody in the end, one way or another, he says, in the end, even after spending some time in hell, in the end, God's love will convince people, and in hell they'll have they'll have the choice of passing from hell to heaven, we can affirm, say, this is not biblical. I don't have anything against the guy. He seems actually to be a, a pretty cool guy. A guy that you would invite to a party, that you want to hang out with. But as far as doctrine, it seems like he's in a different team, and we cannot afford to miss it. It's too serious of a subject, hell. People's eternity... It's too serious of a subject for us to fudge on. Like to be, you know, on the wall, like Humpty Dumpty. You know, we cannot afford to, to not be clear on this one. There is a place to call people out. You can say, you know, he's not, it seems like we're not in the same team. This is what I see in the Bible. This is what I understand Jesus taught. You know, one of us is wrong. You know, Jesus taught more on, on, on hell than, 
and everybody else combined, if it were not for the words of Jesus, we wouldn't have the concept of hell that, that we do. He taught more about hell than any other subject. He taught more about hell than everybody else in the Bible combined. I'm not taking it lightly. We should not have our hands, uh, have blood on our hands. It is beyond my understanding what, a, what God does, but I can see very well what's in the Bible. I'm not God. I cannot put my, uh, my brain as the ultimate authority, my, my reasoning, my falling emotions as the ultimate authority. And uh, I find it interesting that when talking about this subject with, um, with people outside of the faith, or even some struggling in the faith, there is this tone that uh, I have been called uh, arrogant and, and sometimes treated as arrogant. And what is curious is that I am arrogant for trusting what the Bible says. It's like, it's not my idea. It's not my idea. I'm just opening up the text. But people rarely see that they are being intellectually arrogant by putting their own falling reasoning, their own brain, their own ideas and opinions as the ultimate authority. When they'll say, no, that's wrong, uh, that it's the same thing. I am, I am trusting something, and you are trusting something. I am trusting something outside of myself. You are trusting ultimately you. Uh, it looks like you have put yourself in the place of God. We need to have an object, an objective authority. The Word of God is our only rule of faith and practice above our own falling reasoning. The false shepherds, whether they were a suit and they're soft-spoken, whether they have ill motivation, or they believe the false doctrine that they are preaching, in the end, they are leading their sheep to destruction. With these Pharisees, by the way Jesus calls them hypocrites in other places, the way John the Baptist dealt with them, it seems like the majority of them are in it for personal gain. It really seems like this is the case, and God is against them. Jesus Christ comes, and he calls them out in broad daylight. They are in this position of leadership. The people don't have where to run. They are the ones teaching and ruling in the local synagogues, and the people have them as, as shepherds. And they gladly take that position. They don't bring it to the Word of God. This is what the Word of God says. No, this is what our writings say. And you are accursed if you don't believe it. We are the rule for faith and practice. We are the ultimate authority for faith and practice. If you don't agree, you're de-synagogued. You're excommunicated. You're out of the community. Go do business somewhere else. The second feature I want to call your attention to, the second component of this text, is the sheepfold. Like I said in the beginning, the sheepfold, this is a different sheepfold that, from the one that he's going to mention later, after verse 7. 
So let's just focus on this one sheepfold, which is a community sheepfold that is in town. It is a community sheepfold where they build, pretty much just build walls with stones, okay, like maybe 10, 12 feet, you know, as high as they can. So uh, if someone, you know, animals couldn't jump in, and they bring all the families. It's not like they had these huge backyards in their houses. So the local families of the community, they, they use the sheep maybe during the day or shepherd the sheep, you know, to go take them uh, to drink water and to eat in different pastures. But at night, the shepherds would bring them to this community fold and to this community sheep fold and leave them overnight because it is protected. Big, high walls, animals could not go. And if robbers wanted to come in, there was only one door. Actually, there, weren't even, there wasn't even a door. It was just an opening. Stone, 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 and then an opening. That's how it was. Very simple. By that, uh, that opening, the doorkeeper would stay there. One guy. So that community sheepfold is guarded by this one guy who's not necessarily a shepherd. He's a guard. Just guarding the door. He's a doorkeeper. Okay. In the morning, the shepherds, the local shepherds, would get up from either their house, their local place where they lived, or a local inn that they, in passing through, they went by. They would go in the morning and, and retrieve their own sheep. But in this sheepfold, there were different sheep that belonged to different shepherds, to different families. What in the world is this sheepfold that Jesus is talking about? What does this represent in this figure of speech? Some have said that this sheepfold may be heaven. But I find it hard to believe that the shepherd, the good shepherd, who is clearly identified as Jesus, would lead people out of heaven. That is found nowhere in Scripture. Some have suggested that maybe this sheepfold is the church. I think the same question applies. Why would the Lord Jesus... Why would the good shepherd lead these sheep that he bought with, with his own blood out of the church? Because he says, I lead them out. And once I brought them all out, I go before them. So why would Jesus do that? It doesn't seem like these suggestions would really fit the text. Now, Jesus is, in that culture that he finds Israel in that time, started with John the Baptist, and Jesus is doing what? Leading his sheep, his people, out of the dead religion of the Pharisees' Judaism. A work salvation religion. A religion that thinks that God is indebted with them because they walked only 59 steps on, on Saturday. Now God somehow is in a position that he owes me because I'm a medical doctor and I did not heal this guy on Saturday because he wasn't dying, so I didn't save him. I waited till Sunday. I waited till Sunday. Now God is indebted. This is the kind of dead work salvation religion that Jesus finds these people involved with. And Jesus is clearly leading them out of that. When John the Baptist, the forerunner, when he comes when he comes on the scene, he'll say, repent, repent, repent. Repent of what? Repent of your dead religion. And Jesus is leading his sheep out of this sheepfold of 
bed, dead, empty uh, uh, spirituality, false spirituality, fake spirituality. The sheepfold is the religion of the Pharisees. By way of, of, of application, we can see that any dead religion would be this sheepfold. In our day, there are many different religions that will teach a religions and philosophies that will teach a works-based salvation. When the Bible is the only faith that will teach salvation by grace alone. You lose grace alone through faith alone. You do not have Christianity. It is all a work of God. You might say, even in looking at this text a little bit later, you might say, but what is my part? What do I do? What do I do? What do I contribute in salvation? You provide the sin that was laid on Jesus' back. That's your contribution. That is your only contribution to the whole work of salvation. You came with the sin. Jesus came with the blood and the forgiveness. It is a work of God. In our day, we see many different religions that will teach that, many philosophies, and Jesus still today leading his sheep out of all of these philosophies. The third component of this text that I want to call your attention to, it is the true shepherd. Now Jesus, the master teacher, he will put himself in, in contrast with these bad shepherds. Jesus Christ is the shepherd. It's none other than Jesus Christ. The shepherd who cares for his sheep. The shepherd who leads and guides and provides for his sheep. The shepherd who will eventually lay down his life for his sheep. He is the total opposite of the Ezekiel 34 shepherds. He strengthens the weak sheep. He heals the sick sheep. He binds up the broken. He brings back the straying ones. He searches for the lost and he rules over them with kindness. The shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. This shepherd is none other than Jesus Christ. The only good shepherd. The chief shepherd, as 1 Peter states. 1 Peter 5. He is, he is the chief shepherd. The great shepherd Component number four, the door. Verses one and two mention the door. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door. And then verse two says, but he who enters by the door, one does not enter by the door, the other one enters through the door. What is the door? If you enter through the door, you are being welcomed. You are coming in legitimately. Now, in general, if you have to jump over the fence or over the wall, the big walls, and you're trying, in general, you're being shady. You're not being legit. In general, you're up to something wrong. That is not a lawful entrance. Can we agree on that? 
If you have to break in somewhere, you're probably not welcome there. You probably don't want anybody to see you. The police would probably object. That should be an easy one for us to, to agree upon. If you enter climbing over the walls normally, in this case, you would try to either steal to fleece the sheep or, or even slaughter them, just kill them. It's not a lawful entrance. But if you enter to the door, that is a lawful entrance. You get there, the doorkeeper, he recognizes you, he looks at you. You are the guy who left your sheep overnight here. Please come in. That is a lawful entrance. Now, the reason why I keep saying the word lawful, lawful, lawful is that I want to jog in your memory the word law. Because the door is what the law says about the Messiah. About the shepherd that the, the, the Psalms talk about, the prophets talk about. It is a lawful entrance. Not everybody can fit the description of the Messiah. These people, they are, these people meaning the Pharisees, they are in the position of leadership. They are pretending they are the shepherds, but they're not. They do not fit the description of the Messiah at all. They are not to lead these people, at least not the way they are. In Genesis 3.15, the Messiah, he would come from the seed of the woman. Genesis 12 and 18, he would be a descendant of Abraham. Genesis 49, he is from the tribe of Judah. Numbers 24, from the seed of Jacob. He would be from King David, King's King David's lineage, Psalm 132. Isaiah 7.14 says that he would be born of a virgin. Isaiah 35, he would be a miracle worker. He would open the eyes of the blind and the lame would walk. Micah 5 says that he would be born in Bethlehem. Not a lot of people fit that description. Jesus Christ does and therefore he's in accordance to the law and he comes through the door he comes in lawfully he is in accordance with the will of god the revealed will of god he is the promised one that god has been talking about all along and finally he shows up on the scene and he comes for his sheep see we're not left in the dark to test things God has not left us up to our own devices to, to, to check up on things, to test the spirits, as, as the Apostle John puts. We have the standard that is supreme, which is the Word of God. The Word of God leads and guides us and protects and guards us, the sheep of Jesus. The Word of God, not the Pharisees, not people that self-proclaim themselves and preach things that are different from what the Bible proclaims, from what the Bible teaches. Not those people, but the Word of God is the only infallible rule for faith and practice. All others who disagree with the Bible are false shepherds and thieves and robbers. The fifth detail or component, as we're calling them, of these verses is the sheep. Who are these sheep? 
I mean, can we agree that not all in this sheepfold belong to this great shepherd? Because he calls his own, and his own hear his voice, according to this text, verse 2, verse 3, verse 4. And he leads them. He doesn't call all of the sheep to him, but only his own hear his voice. Verse 3 calls them Jesus' own sheep. So some are sheep of God, some are not. Verse 26 is stunning when it says that you did not believe because, because you are not of my flock. Now, it is so human, so fleshly, so natural for us to, to, to have this in a different order, to say, you know, you are not of Jesus' sheep because you didn't believe, but that's not what Jesus says. The order in which Jesus himself presents this is you don't believe. The reason why you don't believe, or because, you don't believe because you are not of my flock. Verse 29 says that these sheep have been given to Jesus from the foundation of the world. By the Father. The Father gives them to Jesus. Gives all of these sheep to Jesus. It reminds me of John 6, I think it's verse uh, 37, when it says that all whom the Father gives me will come to me. Verse 14 says that we are known by him. Oh, the depth of this word known. It's not only know intellectually and, and have an acquaintance. Oh, no, deeply, lovingly experienced. We know him and we are known by him. On verse 16, Jesus will say that I have, I have sheep from a different flock, from different places in the world, not only here in Israel, but all across the nations. I have sheep across the nations. And I'm going to call them. Who are the sheep? Sheep are all true believers who hear the voice of Jesus. And come to him and follow him. Listen to his voice and know him and are known by him. The ones that have been given to Jesus by the Father. These are the sheep, all true believers in Jesus Christ. Number six. The doorkeeper. Now, I have to say that the doorkeeper doesn't... I have a preference, and I, will, I plan to tell you, okay? I have a preference of interpretation. Uh, the doorkeeper doesn't necessarily, in this figure of speech, have to correspond to something that we actually know. There's a lesson to be learned in the doorkeeper that the doorkeeper opens only to the true shepherd, only to the one that knows the sheep, okay? It, it's a lesson of, of protection, of organization, of God keeping his sheep, and I, one of the interpretations is the Holy Spirit. Obviously, I want to tell you that I believe in the ministry of the Holy Spirit, okay? I believe what the Bible says, that the Holy Spirit is the one that convinces and convicts people of judgment and righteousness and sin, and he is the one that gives faith, that regenerates people, that causes people to be born again through the preaching of the living word. I believe the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and I think 
in, 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 a, in, a, in a divine level, it could be the, the, the doorkeeper. I do think that as far as a picture, I, I do think that someone is really similar to this doorkeeper who keeps the sheep, keeps the real sheep for a period of time. This guy, he's there overnight, and he's, he has oversight of the sheep for a, a certain period of time that the sheep is under his care and protection. And he does not allow false shepherds to come and, and take the sheep. Now, there was this guy that we see even in the beginning of the book of John. He's kind of an eccentric guy. He had a diet of bugs and honey. And he called people out. Oh, he didn't. He did not. He did not let any false shepherds get anywhere close to the sheep. He, brood of vipers. You're committing adultery with your sister-in-law. I mean, to John the Baptist. I mean, he called them out. He called Herod, I mean, the, the, the king. He would, in broad daylight, just say, repent. I don't care who you are. I don't care how many crowns you wear. Brood of vipers. I mean, and he, he kept the people of God. When he started preaching repentance, some heard, some didn't. And some came to him. And he had, in, in forerunning, in announcing the ministry of Jesus, when they, when they said, are you the guy? He said, no, I'm not the guy. I'm not worthy to untie his sandals. He's coming. When Jesus showed up, he took the attention off of himself, and he said, the lamb that takes away the sin of the world, that's the one. That's the Messiah. That's Jesus. So it, it's similar to the situation of the, the doorkeeper who had the oversight of the people of God, the true sheep, for a period of time. But then he vouched for the legitimacy of the good shepherd when the shepherd showed up in the morning to get his sheep. Number seven, the shepherd's voice. Oh, the sweet, sweet voice. Of Jesus. Let me remind you of the scene when the shepherd in the morning would come to this community sheepfold, and there are different sheep from different shepherds there. They're all mixed up, and he would say, "How would they come? Do they have tags, or what do they do?" What they would do is that the, the shepherd would get there, the doorkeeper is there, and he would say, "Yeah, you, you're the guy. You, you have the seal," or he would recognize him depending on how many shepherds had been there. Yeah, you were the guy who left your sheep here. Um, yeah, it's fine. You can come in through the door, right? So the shepherd would come in, and, and he would stand there, and he would call his sheep because the sheep would know his voice. And the shepherd would have either a, a customized, a personal, particular call, something like, good morning, little lambs. Let's go. Let's go. And the sheep would know not only the voice but the tone of voice. And, and, and the smell, Let, let's, say, let's say what the voice, the voice, the tone of voice, the words that are used because every morning he gets there, he says, let's go little lambs, good morning, let's go. And the sheep hear it. Or the way Jesus says that he calls them by name. The shepherd would come in and say, hey, 
black sock, spotty, fluffy, let's go. And there you would know when the voice of the shepherd, when the shepherd lifts up his voice and he calls them by their own name, which implies a lovingly affectionate relationship when you name your animal and you call them by name. When the shepherd calls him, calls this sheep, the sheep hear what others didn't hear. Their ears perk up and they look around. You, you can see the heads just looking around. Somehow, intuitively, they know that their comfort has arrived. Their protection has arrived. Their provision has arrived. The one who cares for them and the one who loves them, who leads them through green pastures, he leads them beside still waters, even through the valley of shadow of death. He is right there protecting them. Even when things get, things get dangerous, he is there. And they know that they are protected. Intuitively, they know all of that. When the shepherd calls them by their name. The shepherd comes to the sheepfold and he says, Matthew, follow me. Zacchaeus, come down. Lazarus, come forth. And they come. Others didn't hear it. The call of the shepherd to his own sheep produces what it commands. Lazarus was dead. Dead people do not hear. But the life-giving voice of the shepherd calls them in the epistles of, of the apostles, I didn't mean for, for it to rhyme. The word call is a concept, is a theological word that is always used in the sense of the effectual call of Jesus Christ, of the Holy Spirit when he brings people from spiritual death to life. And suddenly they hear, and they love what they hear. It's that moment in which the sinner realizes Yes, I am a great sinner. Yes, he is a great savior. I am hopeless. But he is my hope. It is that moment in which all of a sudden you see him. Some might say, but don't you choose to love him? I guess yes. We can talk about it in different senses. But one thing I can tell you. I didn't make a choice to love my wife. I saw her. And that was that. I saw her. I didn't sit down and said, I have to make a decision. <laughs> no. When my children, actually, before my children were, were born, I didn't even see them. I saw them in a belly. I knew that they were there. I didn't see them. I knew that they were in a belly, and I was introduced to them. And at that very moment, I knew they were mine. And I didn't sit down and, and decide to love them. I heard of them. I was introduced to them. And I loved them. People are blind by their sin. In our own context, Jesus says that he came so that the blind would see and that these people that claim to see, they, they claim they don't need me, their guilt remains. They, they will not see. 
in our own context. We see that people are spiritually blind and Jesus comes to open their eyes. That's the calling of Jesus. Number eight, he leads the sheep. It's verse four, right? He goes before them. Great lesson, comforting lesson. Know that wherever you are, Jesus has been there. Wherever you are, Jesus is leading you. He is the one that goes before you. He is the good shepherd of the sheep. No matter where you find yourself, what kind of situation or predicament or depression, Jesus is there. No matter what danger, Jesus is the one leading you. Even if it's dark and you can't see. Jesus is leading you. If you are of his flock, if you have been called with this effectual call, with this call that produces what it commands. This does not excuse the fact that we have to look at Jesus and say, I I need you. This does not exclude at all our responsibility. But this text is so, so much deeper. It's so much deeper than this. Number nine, the sheep follow. The shepherd leads, and the sheep follow. Follow whom? Follow everybody? If sheep are, are followers by nature? No, they flee away from the, from the false shepherds. I mean, sometimes do you wonder why, you know, that guy at the, 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 the parking lot who knew, he just knew, and he had all his Bible verses, that you had to be baptized to be saved? And he could make a doctrinal pretzel out of you? Do you wonder why he didn't convince you that you needed to add a work to your salvation? Even though doctrinally he seemed to know his Bible much better than you. His voice was a scary voice. Sheep, the sheep of God, the sheep that belong to the true shepherd, they don't like that voice. Do you wonder why the newest believer, the newest believer, they're being bombarded with, with Jehovah's Witnesses' doctrine that Jesus is just a junior creation God and they have no verses to back up their, their idea of the Trinity, and, but they just know that they, they reject that voice. The voice of Joseph, Joseph Smith, they don't hear. They don't follow the voice of strangers. The voice of universalism, that everybody will be saved, they don't hear. The voice that says you need to add work to your salvation, they do not hear, but they hear the voice of the true shepherd. It is extremely important that we learn to follow Jesus and his leading. It is a dangerous ground. When I say we hear the voice, I don't want you to think that you are to walk around and the main way that, in which you follow God is by having impressions and listening to audible voices. If you listen to audible voices all the time, you might need a pill. The main way that God leads his people 
is the Word of God. You open this book, God opens His mouth. He has not, like I said, He has not left us in the dark. He has not left us to our own devices to, to test the spirits, to, to judge life, to understand the eternal way, the righteous ways of God. Anything that leads you away from the gospel of Jesus Christ, from His life and death, on our behalf and resurrection for our justification, which is just being declared not only uh, innocent, but positively righteous. That's the justification of God. Anything that leads you away from that truth is the voice of strangers. It is not the voice of the good shepherd. Have you been called by this shepherd? Make your call and election sure. When did he call you? Can, you? can you remember? Do you know his voice? Do you have this loving relationship with him, vibrant relationship, when you have pleasure in listening to what he has to say on his word? Is listening to a guy with a heavy accent for 57 minutes boring you out of your mind when he's talking about Jesus. Do you know his voice? Does he know you? Have you been given to him by the Father? If not, today is a great day to come to him. Today is a great day. When you hear his voice, God might be tugging at your heart. When you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Tomorrow is promised to no man. Let Jesus call you out from any dead religion, dead philosophy, from relying upon yourself, or you straying as one of the sheep. Jesus is here today to carry you in his bosom, to pick you up and bring you back in the fold. He is the good shepherd that he would even leave 99 behind and go and risk his life to save the one that was lost. Let Jesus pluck you out of whatever is competing in your heart for your affections to him. From any kind of self-reliance that would bring you away from his holy gospel. Let Jesus today be your good shepherd. He is the shepherd who feeds and guides and guards and transforms and restores. Isn't today a great day to be restored by the Good Shepherd? Be restored by Him today. Come to Him. Come to Him. Everybody in here is in great need of being shepherded by this Good Shepherd. We all need Jesus. We all need Jesus. Come to Him. Flee from strangers' voices. And come be fed by him, by his word, through his spirit, and be restored. Amen? Let us pray. Father God, I thank you that you have given many to your son. And I thank you that uh, he promised us that all those that you have given him will come. Your plans will not be frustrated, thwarted. And we acknowledge once again that it is all of your grace. And we thank you. We praise you. Thank you for being our shepherd, Lord Jesus.
we were lost, but now we are found. And we rejoice in the fact that you guide us, guard us.